0: This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Your radio doctor does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, physicians, products, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on your radio doctor. Always consult your own physician. Today's program has been pre-recorded.
1: When Recovery Centers of America at Devon opened its campuses on the main line and in South Jersey, they offered a new approach, local addiction treatment led by an expert caring team of professionals. RCA has since helped thousands and leads the way in innovative programs and Exceptional inpatient and outpatient care, all in a beautiful setting that allows for healing and recovery. RCA answers the phone and admits patients 24-7, 365, including the holidays. All admitted patients and staff are routinely tested for COVID-19. Call now at 1-888-RECOVERY. That's 1-888-RECOVERY. Talk Radio 1210. WPHT, WPHD HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. From the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. Your health determines your life, your longevity, and your happiness. Let your radio doctor lead the way with your medical education. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Good morning on this beautiful June Sunday. It's official. Summer's here, school's almost out. The kids will be outside riding their bikes, playing sports and swimming. So what do you do when your 12-year-old slides into home plate and gets a deep cut in his hand? your six-year-old rides her bike over a bump and flies over the handlebars, or your teenager hits his head on a diving board. And what if those episodes happen after hours, or on a weekend, or on vacation? Now you have to decide whether to head straight to the emergency department or wonder if an urgent care facility can do the job. You never want to look back and have regrets about a medical decision, especially when it's your child. Here with us today is Dr. Courtney Nelson, Clinical Assistant Professor of Pediatrics, who practices pediatric emer- emergency medicine at Nemours A.I. DuPont Hospital for Children in Wilmington, Delaware. Welcome, Courtney. Thank you for being here. Courtney, when I sat down to make this list of questions, I was wearing three hats. One is a physician, but more importantly, one is a mother and now a grandmother, two-year-old, 10-week-old, four-week-old. And the occasion, yeah, oh, it's such an exciting time. But I look back and remember our visits to the ER, or ED as we say now, uh, included a broken arm, croup, stitches, and anaphylaxis, which we'll talk about in a little bit, which is a life-threatening allergic reaction. But each time I brought, you know, each of my children to the emergency department, let's talk about the choices parents and guardians, teachers have now, which include the emergency department, urgent care or calling their pediatrician. How would you advise people?
0: So I think the distinctions really are related to what resources are available in each place um, and a little bit the categories of diagnosis that you're being seen for. So you know the urgent care is really great when you have a minor injury. So if your child is falls on a hand or falls and twists their leg and they have pain kind of over a bone after an injury that's that's the ideal kind of scenario for an urgent care. They can easily do x-rays and, and you'll be able to get to a diagnosis. Similarly you know a laceration, a, a simple straight cut something that's not jagged that isn't too deep, um, is really ideal for for the urgent care setting it, it's when the cuts become a little bit more jagged that we would say you know it doesn't you don't really have the resources there so um, when they're deep they're jagged or if they're involving um, really the eye itself um, or kind of the lips those are much more concerning really shouldn't be seen at an urgent care um, one other thing I, I get asked often is, cuts inside the mouth, so those rarely need to be repaired. You can always kind of start at an urgent care for the most part when it's not involving the lip, and, and um, we'll talk about if, if additional care needs to be had from that point. Um, the only other thing from injury standpoint that's important to consider is if, if your child's going to need sedation or anesthesia, you know, medication to make them a little bit calmer to have a procedure done, that is rarely available um, in urgent care, so that really is a time that your kid would need to be seen in the ED Sure. Because, if you think yeah, I, about, you know, yeah. I'm sorry.
1: Well, I just want to say, with stitches, have to be terrifying, even for adults. But for a little child, that's pretty hard to handle.
0: Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's lots of different things that we can do in an emergency department setting to make that more comfortable. And then I guess the
1: next category would be, would be when you do uh, realize you need the emergency department. When do you call nine one one versus driving the child yourself? I know one time. One of my aunts called me and said, she lived with my other aunt, and said, Dee Dee just passed out. Come on over. And I said, let me call an ambulance. And she said, no, no, no. My husband said, and of course, I knew this, you will always regret getting there and not being able to help her if you don't have an EMT with you. So I said, okay, I won't. And I made him call. <laughs> but thank goodness, because she was in a regular heartbeat. And I, it, we could have lost her had we not uh, gotten assistance. So when do you decide to call 911? Because you need trained people to be working on the situation between home and the hospital.
0: Right, exactly. So, yeah, so it, it's times when you, you don't think you can wait. That treatment needs to start immediately. And so that's, you know, if a child isn't breathing, if a child is turning blue or purple, you know, they're, they're struggling in that regard, if they're choking, we think with injuries, you know, if somebody has fallen and they've, they've really lost consciousness, are not acting like themselves, are altered, um, you know, other accidents, a car accident where they, you know, are at risk for neck injuries, spine injuries, um, absolutely, those are times you're going to want to call 911. Other, I think, good examples are, you know, a seizure. We're never going to say a seizure doesn't need to be seen, and oftentimes a seizure needs to be acted on immediately, so you're going to call 911. Anytime your child has a seizure, Um, and then you had touched on earlier, you know, seeing anaphylaxis—that a serious allergic reaction—is terrifying for families to see, and very quickly can be managed with an EpiPen. But but time is really of the essence, so um, that is absolutely a time you need to call nine one one because you're going to want them to get that life-saving medication as soon as possible. The only other kind of just general things I would think about, you know, is when children get severe injuries from falls that you know, a, ca- a kind of extensive bleeding that's not stopping or, or a bone, you know, in, in a severe scenario, a bone is sticking through the skin. That's a time you, you're not going to want to wait at home to bandage them, get them in the car, drive to the, you're going to want to get an ambulance to get them. That, that just needs to be treated a lot more quickly.
1: So you mentioned choking. If you, if your little toddler picks up a hard candy or something that lodges and you realize instantly, do you try to, uh, Pat them on the back and do a sort of a pediatric Heimlich?
0: Is there anything that a mom or dad or a teacher or babysitter can do? Sure. So if they are making noise, you know, they are they are coughing themselves, they're talking to you, they are alert, you actually want to let them cough it out. They will be more effective than if you startle them or start, you know, hitting on their back to get it out. That can sometimes make them aspirate it or bring it down into their airway further and, and complicate measures more. So it's when they are, you know, not speaking, not taking breaths, that is when you would want to do kind of what we call back blows and then abdominal thrusts where you're sort of pushing on their abdomen.
1: Because you don't want them to go huh, and make it worse.
0: Exactly. Yep. And epipens. I, you know, we can talk about this a little bit
1: later. But, um, you know, I carry epipens, or my sons do now; they're adults. But um, our our pediatric allergist always said, carry a double epipen. People should hear this, and I'm sure you tell this to your patients, because if you're not near the hospital and you use one of the epipens and it's defective, you have a backup right? Or if you yes, um, exactly. bring things under control, but you're stuck in traffic, you can have rebound. So it's always carry the double yes. epi. Yes.
0: Yes. So yes. Some parents, I think, think they should split it. Give one to school, one to a backpack, Absolutely, know, keep them together because exactly that. You may get the rebound. You may need a second dose um, or the first may not work.
1: Good point. I wouldn't even think that that would go through somebody's mind to give one to dad, one to mom or one to school. Go right to the ER and you can drive the child yourself if... Maybe they have trouble breathing; they're short of breath, but they're not turning blue. Um, and other reasons to go to the ER without 911.
0: Other reasons, I would say if your child is showing some trouble breathing, but yeah, exactly, doesn't have color change. If they've got a head injury, but they're acting like themselves. Um, you know, if they've got uh, you know, severe abdominal pain, but are still managed, okay. Those would be all reasons that would be fine to to go to the emergency room. You wouldn't need 911. Um, the other distinction I always like to highlight is a child who's under two months of age and has a fever. You can always talk to your pediatrician, but that's pretty much an emergency emergency. We're always going to say you need to go to the emergency room for that. So that would be a reason to just kind of get your kid in the car and bring them to us.
1: Mm -hmm. Or a fever with a stiff neck too. We worry about meningitis. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Let's take a little break and we'll be right back with Dr. Courtney Nelson from Nemours. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. If you have a question for the medical mailbag, just send a note to doctor at yourradiodoctor.net. And we're back on Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Courtney Nelson. Dr. Courtney Nelson is a pediatrician who practices emergency medicine at Nemours, A.I. DuPont uh, Children's Hospital in Wilmington but also in the community here at Bryn Mawr Hospital. So your experience is vast and varied and uh, we're hearing great great tips from you Courtney. When you talked about separating those times when you call 911 or take your child to the emergency room what are things that can wait till tomorrow and maybe have a conversation with your pediatrician or, or one of the nurse practitioners? Yep.
0: Um, so, you know, kids, if your child's having a fever for a couple of days, two, three days, it's absolutely worthwhile. Talk to your pediatrician. They probably are going to want to see you in the office. That can be more of a phone call. Um, I, I like to think of it as things that you would potentially there could be medications we could give your child to make them better, right? And that would be the reason to call. So, you know, ear pain, sore throat. Sometimes there are things over the phone we can tell you to do to try to alleviate those symptoms. Sometimes you may say you need to be evaluated. Um, Other simple things, you know, some mild or moderate belly pain, persistent cough, all things that we can talk about over the phone and oftentimes can arrange an appointment the next day.
1: Mm -hmm. And that next day, if your child is really... 100 you know high fever but you the doctor's not concerned you can also take advantage of telehealth i think yes. that's one of those Tell us about
0: that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think telehealth. I'm not a telehealth provider, but has really been incredible for families to when there is a time that you don't you don't need hands laid on your child, right? So it's a lot more of the things that are uh, more of like a visual diagnosis that you can just see the child and, and look at. So cuts, scrapes, bruises, those are perfect times when you can use telemedicine, and they can even help you. We had talked about you know the distinction of cuts with if you need the ER versus urgent care. They can help you with that decision if, you, if you're not entirely clear. Um, rashes, cold, flu symptoms, that type of stuff, they can see you on telemedicine and, and you don't necessarily need to be in the office. And the doctor can see the child
1: if he or she is struggling to breathe, if they're using their chest or belly muscles to breathe, if they're using more effort, they're going to say, mom, bring your child in. Um, and and rashes, I think, provide a good visual. I know that um, with cuts, I remember the one time I, my husband is also in medicine, and he's always told patients, don't have a trampoline in your backyard. Trampolines are a big no. Well, our daughter went to a, a birthday party at her friend's house. I think they were in eighth grade. And she called us to say, mom, I have a little cut on my foot. And I said, tell me, don't tell dad. It was a trampoline. And the big and it was a pretty good gash. It needed stitches. But um, his big concern was, did it cut into tendons? So that's the other reason if a cut is deep enough, especially in hand or foot, you want to worry you know, can you wiggle your toes? Whew, thank goodness, toes are still attached to tendons. So if you do call your pediatrician, even if you're headed to the ER, um, and especially if you're away from home, like we said, if you're at the shore or you're on vacation, your pediatrician might suggest a children's hospital if you're near one, or might even say, you're not familiar with this area, but my I have a friend that works in XYZ, that, that it's still a good idea, even if you're headed to the ER to notify your pediatrician, right? Because They may or may not be on staff there, but they might be able to call somebody else.
0: Yes, absolutely. Um, Mm -hmm. And I would say there's times where they may distinguish based on your past medical history or what you're explaining to them that they really want you at a children's hospital. And and really, the difference from a children's hospital to a community hospital is that they have that pediatric subspecialized care. They have somebody who trained as a pediatrician and then in multiple subspecialties for pediatric patients only. Um, I think the other benefit too is that they may at times tell you, no, stop your car and call 911. You know, they may say you should not be driving your child to the emergency room. We, we want um, skilled paramedics at the scene to help your child while they are getting transported to the emergency mm-hmm. department.
1: Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'm sure people bring their children to a community hospital, even if they have pediatricians on staff and they need to be transferred. And I'm sure it's more helpful if you have a specialized pediatric team making that transfer. Does yes. that make for a better situation? Absolutely, 100%. So when a person brings their child to the emergency department, how would you tell them to be prepared?
0: So I think the first thing, we're really gathering a story is a lot of what we're doing in medicine. The history is half of it, if not more. Um, And so you want to make sure that you've talked to all the caregivers and really have a clear picture of what were the symptoms. If they're in multiple households, you want to know what happened when you weren't around in that other household, Um, what symptoms has your child had, what medicines have been tried, because that can be really indicative of what we should be doing um, for testing or for treatment. Um, you want to know when your child last ate or drank. That's just kind of a common question that that we need. There's some diagnostic tests, but there's also some management. If we, if we ever had to use anesthesia for your child, you know, we, yes. they can't have eaten or drank within a few hours. So that's always um, very important for us to know before you come in. And then... Past history is really critical, and and if your child has has seen multiple doctors and maybe has a number of chronic medical conditions, it can be very helpful to have, you know, a one page that says these are their diagnoses, these are the doctors that follow them, these are the medicines that they take, Um, and that can be just an invaluable resource when you're coming to the emergency department and, you know, stress is high, maybe you're, you're very worried, your child is very sick, you know, that can just be an easy way to communicate with us.
1: Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that includes their immunization history. And the other thing, while you're waiting to be seen, don't think to give your child anything to eat or drink to comfort them. Ask the staff or the nurse to check with the doctor because, as you say, if they need anesthesia, their stomach has to be empty because we don't want them to aspirate. And if you're sitting there waiting and your child's condition worsens, notify this the staff stat let them know um probably a good idea to comfort your child and bring their favorite stuffed animal while they wait too the yes. other thing that I, I i always reinforce with my friends who are new grandparents if you babysit for your grandchild or grandchildren ask your son or daughter your your children to give you a written letter saying you know, uh, my married name is Gordon. Marianne Gordon has my permission to take my son, Thomas McCarthy, to the emergency room or the pediatrician. I think that's so important. I guess people don't always think of that, but it makes things easier, doesn't it? Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we talked about fever and injuries as two major categories why children are most often brought to the emergency department. What are the take-home messages with fever? I loved what you talked about the other day.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, fever. I I think we always need to remember, fever is a natural process. Fever is showing us that our immune systems are strong and healthy. And especially in those kids who are starting daycare or are about to start school, um, that is when they are seeing so many new germs. And we can expect that they're going to have a fever once a month, probably on average. It's once a month, um, and that that is good. That tells us our body's healthy. And, and most commonly fevers are due to a virus it's really the age of your child and how long the fevers last that start to tell us like oh maybe there is you know maybe there's more testing more more workup that we need to do and so again those kids under 2 months every time those kids are getting sent to the emergency department they need more um, thorough testing more more invasive testing the kids that have had fever for you know over a week, those two often need more testing, and that's the time you want to talk with your pediatrician. Um, and in between there, you know, two to three days of fever is commonly a viral illness. And if your kid is comfortable, you you don't have to treat their fevers if they're still running around and smiling. You know, we treat kids when they're uncomfortable. The, the biggest risk of fever is that they're going to get dehydrated. They're not going to drink enough fluids. They're not going to eat, and so you want to keep them comfortable enough to keep them well hydrated and see what, what we like to call our like periods of playfulness. A child is not going to be comfortable when they have a fever. They are going to have a high heart rate. They're going to, they're maybe moaning, you know, want to be clingy, want to sit in your lap. When you give them a uh, medicine to bring their fever down, you should see them get a little bit more playful, drink a little, keep themselves hydrated, return to themselves. Um, and, and you can watch them doing that for two to three days if they're, if they're otherwise doing well in between those periods of fever. And you said that no
1: fever is too, no fever is too high. Like, oh gee, now it's 103. That's really not scarier than 101. It's the duration, the age of the child. Um, What about febrile seizures? Not all high fevers lead to seizures, but how do they, how do you uh, talk about that?
0: So febrile seizures are, first, they're, they're uncommon. So it isn't like if you gave an entire kindergarten classroom 105 fevers, every single child would get a seizure. That it just isn't, you know, it, it's much more, we think there's a genetic component that relates to it. Um, so they are rare, uh, but they are an emergency. If your child has a seizure and has a fever, you need to be seen in the emergency department. Um, and that's really to make sure that that seizure resolves, that your child returns to themselves, and to have an evaluation for why they had the fever. In um, the vast majority of times, these um, seizures never recur and don't lead to anything further in their life. And then fever with abdominal pain, I'm sure
1: you always have to be careful about that.
0: Yes. Uh, So any child that has fever, abdominal pain with right sided pain specifically should be evaluated for appendicitis. And that's the time we're going to want to see them in the ED. Um, If they have a fever, vomiting with diarrhea, and not really any significant abdominal pain, that kind of fits the bill of a stomach virus. We're seeing a lot of that right now. And you just want to observe your child for dehydration. You want to make sure that they are drinking, they don't have to eat, but they have to be drinking something and something with calories, you know, some Gatorade, Pedialyte, juice mixed with water, you know, something that's going to keep their blood sugar. Eliminated. Mm-hmm. So maybe chicken broth, beef
1: broth have have more calories, and it tastes good. Yeah. And is it still in vogue to do the BRAC diet—bananas, rice, apple juice, toast—or is that so? Nineteen so nineties.
0: More will say, give your child what they're willing to eat. You know, now is not the time to change their diet. Um, whatever, when they don't feel well, you give them what they're what they're willing to take. So you
1: want to make sure that they're urinating once at least every eight hours. Yes. Or make sure they have how many wet diapers in a day one every eight hours as well
0: about three exactly about three Mm -hmm. every day and Mm -hmm. if your kid's going to the 12 hour mark depending on their age that's when you talk to your pediatrician 24 hours you're just going to come to the emergency department they likely need more medication sure learning such good information stay with us and we'll be right back with dr
1: courtney nelson
0: Today's edition of Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross, can be enjoyed anytime, anywhere, at your convenience. Just download the Odyssey app and search Your Radio Doctor. It's health education on demand.
1: We're here on Your Radio Doctor and learning so much from Dr. Courtney Nelson about when you should take your child to the emergency department. Courtney, if a child does have a fever for two or three days um, and they're found to have a strep throat, what is your message about making sure they complete that antibiotic?
0: Yeah, so do not stop your antibiotic prematurely. Um, your child may start to feel better, but you wanna complete that full course to prevent any of the kind of long-term sequelae that can come from a, from an incompletely or un, untreated strep throat. Because I think even
1: since I was in medical school, People who don't treat strep completely, doesn't always happen, but they're opening the door for future heart valve damage and, yes. and kidney disease, which is not good. So um, injuries, that's another broad category that we can spend some time on and learn a lot from you. How do you categorize injuries?
0: So when patients fall, when kids fall from a standing position, that's relatively low risk. You know, they're falling from their height, and, and typically that's going to lead to a small cut bruise, nothing nothing significant. It's, it's the falls that are really from a, a height of three to five feet. That's when we start to worry a little bit more about the increased risk of those falls and particularly head injury with those falls. The other thing to distinguish is where do they have their bruising? So kids can get just incredible goose eggs on the front of their scalp, you know, right over the forehead, and that is actually the most low risk spot to get a bruise. So those are also generally pretty, pretty benign. Um, it's if you start seeing swelling to other parts, right? So if they hit the side of their head or the back of their head and that's where the swelling is, that is a much more concerning feature. That's the time you want to be seen in the emergency department. And then lastly, with head injuries, at least, when your child's being behavior is different, they're not acting like themselves, they're sleepy, Um, you, you need to be seen. It doesn't mean that they necessarily are gonna need advanced imaging, but they absolutely need to be evaluated in the emergency department to determine if they are more a concussion or is there need for a more advanced imaging like a, like a CAT scan or a CT scan.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: so listeners know a
1: concussion is an injury to the brain that's, that can later cause swelling. So if we do a CAT scan, it's not to find a concussion. They don't show up on imaging. It's to make sure it's not a bleed or some other type of injury, right?
0: Yes, exactly. So a concussion really is diagnosed by your history and then some specific exam maneuvers, mm-hmm. but not from imaging. Mm-hmm.
1: And if you do have a child who's injured uh, in a traumatic way at playing a sport, pull them out of the game. They'll still get into Harvard to play lacrosse if they miss a game <laughs> in fourth grade yes. for Pete's sake. Even a little tap to the head, the, the diagnosis of concussion is a headache that lasts longer than 15 minutes after a tap. Am I right? Isn't that the official?
0: So it doesn't. So a couple distinctions from that. So it doesn't have to actually be with a direct head injury. It can even just be with a whiplash injury. So you don't have to actually have struck your head on anything. Um, and at least the people that trained me, have, have, the sports medicine docs I learned from, have said that this is within the first 24 hours of a head injury or a whiplash injury developing a headache would be consistent with concussion. And they are so
1: scary because even the slightest kind of lingering headache it's like a tomato. You get one soft spot. It's easier to add other soft spots. Or I always used to say to my students, it's like a shower curtain. And once you lose one ring and then a second ring, it's easier to pull the whole shirt and shower curtain down. So, so important parents to pay attention if you think your child's had a concussion. Um, an open fracture. It's kind of yucky to even think about it. But when your bone sticks through the skin, it has to be scary to parents and child. Tell us about that.
0: So anytime there's an open fracture, your child's at risk for getting an infection of the bone. If we give antibiotics right away, then it, it, that 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 risk is, is dramatically decreased. Um, so those are times that you you don't wait and put your kid in the car and drive them. You really want to call 911. You want to get them to the hospital as soon as possible. It also gets them seen a doctor as soon as possible. Um, other types of you know concerning injuries that I would say really need to be um, seen in the emergency department are those those deep cuts so cuts that are down to the bone cuts that are dirty that need to be irrigated that your child maybe needs boosters to their vaccines Mm. um you know you can think that your child is is up to date and they are because we you know we give children vaccine based on the set schedule but sometimes if you've got a significant enough injury you actually need additional tetanus um, protection on top of that and and that is really just determined by what your exam looks like and so you'd want to be seen good to know and you mentioned that
1: if a um A broken bone, and by the way, for our listeners, fracture equals broken. A lot of people say, oh, it's just a fracture. Fracture equals broken bone, yes? Yes, Um, yes. uh, If you do have a broken bone and it comes through the skin, it's not protected by that case. Um, Infection in bone is very dangerous and can take weeks, even months of IV antibiotics. So that's the other take-home message. Infection in the bone can really cause problems. How about a facial injury? Does it always need plastic surgery? You were talking earlier about sometimes a lip
0: cut right. or mm-hmm. yep. Um, so it does not always need plastic surgery. So um, a plastic surgery is really for those. You know, kind of the next step. Those very complex lacerations, kind of multi-layered closure. So, not again, not something we want to think about. But if your child has a cut that's so deep that it's going through kind of the surface tissues and the muscles, Mm. um, that is a time that you're definitely going to need a plastic surgeon. And then lip laceration, their cuts, excuse me, lip cuts. Depending on how significant they are, um, sometimes do do need a plastic surgeon. And those are times you're not going to get a plastic surgeon in an urgent care setting. Those are times that even if your child looks well, it's not big. um, but it actually is a deep cut. It's involving the lip, it's involving areas close to the eye. Um, you may want to be seen in, an. you will want to be seen in an emergency department to be able to have that option of, of a plastic surgeon if needed.
1: And I remember uh, as a resident, I saw a little girl brought in and she had a cut through her lip and we call the redness of your lips the vermilion. I mean, you know, saying for our listeners. So if it cuts through that, we want to align, <laughs> we want it to be a straight line when, when the lip is... Um, Uh, approximated or brought back together. And nose injuries, um, how do we make sure it's not a broken nose or, or what goes through your mind when that happens?
0: Yeah, so the nose is actually mostly made of cartilage. And so I often get asked, you know, are we going to be doing x-rays? Are we going to do more imaging? And unfortunately, x-rays don't don't help us a lot with an early nose injury. So the ENT, um, ear, nose, and throat specialists really recommend that you, you wait until the swelling is down and then see them in clinic. And they determine if you need to do additional imaging. Getting an x-ray right after really isn't going to tell you anything about the structures of the nose. You do need a physical exam, though, because the internal structure Structures that we can see if we like look inside your nostril, we need to make sure that those tissues are healthy, that you don't have any kind of um, like a deviation where that kind of separation in the mm. nose moves to one side or a profound swelling in the nose. Um, so you always need a physical exam. It's just imaging is rarely needed for a nose injury.
1: I never thought of that before, that, that, that you can have a hematoma or a collection of blood in the septum or the dividing the room divider, and then it makes it hard to breathe on the one side.
0: And that's very right. good advice. Um, An eye injury. How scary is that? Mm. And incredibly painful, unfortunately. So we call these corneal abrasions, so kind of a scratch right to the top of, to over the eyeball itself. So not the lid, but the eyeball itself. Um, And those can be... terribly painful not always visualized with the naked eye so if your child is you know rubbing their eye could have you know was maybe out cutting the grass is a common time that we'll see it a piece of grass got in there and maybe has been was stuck under the lid and has been scratching over the eye or in babies they sometimes will accidentally scratch their eye with their nails that's why we always want to keep their fingernails shorter um basically the child will complain that they've got, you know, terrible eye pain, they'll rub their eye. You wanna be seen so that we can do a specific testing where we put a dye, it's not painful or anything, but it's a dye that will sort of highlight if there's any kind of subtle cut because they're subtle but need to be treated and need to be monitored. Sure, and maybe antibiotics and and the poor little child, I mean, we've all had that
1: happen to ourselves. Every time you blink, it hurts. Yes. And uh, try to tell a child to not blink. so we talked about injuries that need the emergency department. What can parents do while they're waiting for the ambulance or on the way to the hospital? Let's say a child swallows a cleaning solution, bring the bottle with you, or if they, they're choking on like a small little toy or something, see if you can bring one that's similar to show the doc. But um, what do you tell people when they, the child swallows a cleaning solution? Do not induce vomiting,
0: Correct. Right, yes. Yeah, so that if you induce vomiting from different types of chemicals, you can actually cause more damage um, by bringing that solution back up and then potentially getting it in the airways. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, other things that are important, you know, if your child has heavy bleeding, like a you know, significant cut in an extremity, you're gonna want to elevate that limb, apply any kind of pressure that you can, a tourniquet if you have one, you can even just use a household belt, a household towel, something around that area to try to um, stop the bleeding. Again, a reason to call 911, absolutely. You should not be managing that for long. Um, and then after a fall, if your child jumps right back up on their own, that's a different story. But after a fall, if your child is laying on the ground do not attempt to move them. Wait for the EMT so that they can carefully, you know, there's different ways of how we move children to minimize any additional injury. Um, so you want to let them do that. Uh, and then we we kind of already touched a little bit on the, the EpiPen scenario, but you definitely, um, if you are worried that your child is having an allergic reaction and you have the EpiPen, give the EpiPen immediately call nine one one. we still want them to come we want them to come by ambulance but if you have it you this is one of those few times in life you are going to save your child's life so it's really I implore you to give that epi pen
1: yes i went through that with my son who's now uh 35 and he was having mm-hmm. a really bad and i said do it do it and he said no mom and i just did a jabola because i yeah. knew if it progressed between here and uh five minutes away five minutes from new york uh, yes. they might not be able to get the tube into a swollen airways, right?
0: Correct. No, you're absolutely right. It, it's you, We never want to cause harm to our kids, but that, that one poke um, really prevents much more harm um, and, and is absolutely worth doing it. Courtney, thank you.
1: We'll be right back for our wrap-up on when to take your children to the emergency department. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented in part by Recovery Centers of America. When needed, call RCA 1 888 Recovery. And in our final segment with Dr. Courtney Nelson from Nemours, AI DuPont, and Bryn Mawr Hospital Emergency Departments for Children, uh, what general advice? do you want people to carry away after our discussion? We've learned so much from you, Courtney.
0: So I would say, you know, we talked a lot about whether you should go to the emergency department, urgent care, or go to your pediatrician. And, and I think the important part to know is that if, wherever you start, you may always be advised to go to a higher level of care. So when you present to your pediatrician, they may say, we want you to go to the ER. When you go to the urgent care, they may say, actually, we can't manage this here. You need to be seen in the emergency department. So. Um, be prepared to have, you know, child care for any other children that are left at home. Notify your employer, kind of give yourself that time. It, it may not be a quick in and out experience. And so you just want to be prepared um, that you could need a higher level of care. And, and you're worried about your kid. That's, that's why you brought them to, to a doctor. Um, the other thing I would say is that if you go to your pediatrician and then are told to go to the emergency department, that doesn't mean you went to the wrong spot. You know, we give these general guidelines because we're, we're trying to determine who best to evaluate your kid. But again, they may say your kid needs a little bit more care and, and that's okay. That doesn't mean you went to the wrong spot. Um, and in in the on the flip side, if you go to the emergency department and are sent home as something very minor, that doesn't mean you didn't need the emergency department. You needed us for our expertise in terms of what things, what conditions we're looking for and the tools we have to screen for those conditions
1: exactly if you could do it at home yourself you wouldn't need us right Uh, wonderful websites that we have for people to visit and learn your blog from Nemours is super duper especially about reviewing what we talked about today tell us about the blog for Nemours
0: Um, So, yeah, it's easily accessible. Lots of great information there. Um, Other resources, it's it's blog.nemours.org. You can also go to the general Nemours uh, website, which is um, Nemours, N-E-M-O-U-R-S, .org. And then another one, this is a little bit more patient-friendly. It it has um, sites for the teens and for young children, um, as well as the parents. But that's kidshealth.org. No apostrophe, just kidshealth.org, um, and that just has some great informational pieces and, again, reiterates kind of when to seek additional care, whether that's um, urgent care or ED.
1: Wonderful. So that's blog.nemours, dot .org, or nemours.org. I'm sure that would lead people to the blog, or kidshealth.org. Dr. Courtney Nelson, you are the best. Thank you. We've learned so much good information about what to do while we wait for an ambulance, how to decide between ER and urgent care and stay in touch with your pediatrician because you might get help or or, um, advice before you make your choice. Thank you. And I'd love to have you back again in the future.
0: Great. Thank you so much for having
1: me. And now for your real champion, I call this segment Hoops for a Cause. You don't have to be a baseball fan to recognize the name Lou Gehrig, the legendary New York Yankees first baseman who's just as well known for a disease called amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, or ALS. Degeneration of the nerves that supply muscle movement cause weakness. It's a progressive disease that may initially affect walking or reaching, but eventually patients struggle to speak, eat, or even breathe. Though he may not have been quite as famous, another young man was cut down in the prime of his life with the same unforgiving disease, Billy Lake. He was also an athlete. Well into his 30s, he played pickup basketball on a regular basis. So when his fingers on his left hand seemed a little weak, he figured he simply jammed on playing basketball the night before. He went to a sports clinic, increased his exercise, but couldn't ignore the continued nagging and gradually increasing weakness. Now his left hand, forearm than his right arm. In time, his weak left leg caused a limp. In the end, it was hard to swallow or breathe. His wife Patty also loved basketball, a varsity player in high school with quite the hook shot. When Billy was diagnosed, their four children were only five, three, one, and a newborn. She talks about Billy with a sweet inflection as a devoted father and her best friend who showed dignity and grace under pressure. Like any young patient facing his own mortality, he didn't want to believe the diagnosis at first, but with remarkable courage, Billy found peace, strength, and acceptance through his faith. What stands out most in Patty's mind is the tremendous show of support from family and friends. Billy Lake lost his battle with ALS, but the Billy Lake Memorial ALS Research Fund will keep his memory alive while bringing hope and support to others who suffer from ALS. With the help of Billy's brother-in-law, Kevin Kane, and his friend, Dan Quinn, the first annual Billy Lake Basketball Marathon brought players from the community together to raise awareness and funds. For $20, you got a Billy Lake t-shirt and a spot on the roster to play in the three-day marathon. The first year, they raised $2,000, which started with local pickup games at Drexel Hill Middle School, eventually at Monsignor Bonner High School Gym, and now is a major tournament at the Haverford College. Through the years, the Billy Lake Fund has gotten boosts from lots of caring people, including Phil Martelli, former coach of St. Joe Hawks, and Bobby Morgan, coach of the Haverford College women's basketball team. Now the longest consecutive family-run ALS event in the country in its 29th year, and to date has raised over $750,000 providing a scholarship to Monsignor Bonner High School and funds for ALS research and patient support. When Billy Lake died, his wife Patty lost her soulmate and Dan Quinn lost his best friend. Patty and Dan Quinn blended their love of basketball with their passion for finding a cure for ALS. Patty and Dan also blended their families with her four children and Dan's five children, a veritable Brady Bunch. The ALS Association is a national organization that funds global ALS research and offers programs for those affected with ALS. Patty and Dan have dedicated close to 30 years to the Greater Philadelphia Chapter and are board members. And this year, Dan is the chairman of the ALS Board of Directors. We salute you, Patty and Dan Quinn. You're real champions. We're making progress. May is now ALS Awareness Month. And for the first time, June 2nd is now marked as annual Lou Gehrig Day. Join their fight against ALS. The annual basketball marathon will be in October this year. Visit www.billylake.com for the date. Donate your time, money, or join the fun and shoot some hoops. Billylake.com. Learn more about ALS at ALS.org. Thanks for listening each week. Listen to today's show or any of our shows on yourradiodoctor.net. Send us a story about a real champion in your world. Ladies, come to Pink Plus at Jefferson. You can have a mammogram, gynecology exam, and a colon cancer screening visit or a mammogram and GI visit, call 215-503-1631. Get two or three cancer screenings in one visit, 215-503-1631. Keep it here for the sounds of Sinatra and the summer wind. This is your radio doctor reminding you that your health is your wealth.
0: Thanks for listening to your radio doctor, Dr. Mary Ritchie, a Jacob Media Production.